Welcome to Council 4 Unplugged. This is the podcast of Council 4 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees in New Britain. We are a union representing 30,000 hardworking people across Connecticut. My name is Larry Dorman, and our special guest today is Leo Canty. Leo is a retired union leader for many years with AFT Connecticut. He helped start one of the unions at the Yukon Health Center back in the late 70s. He was the on the executive board of the Connecticut AFL-CIO and just a, a real force and a real dynamo in the Connecticut labor movement. And we're happy to have you here, Leo. I'm very happy to be here, Larry, and even happier about all the great things you say about me. So keep it up. <laughs> I will. Um, and happy is our theme today, actually. Uh, Leo uh, retired a few years ago and... Um, set about a mission to tour the 10 happiest countries in the world. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what makes a happy country. So Leo, tell us about this trip you took and the 10 happiest countries. And apparently there actually is a real data-driven list that uh, explains what makes for a happy country. But tell us about your travels. Well, let me give just a little bit of background. First of all, living a dream is not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it's something I wish everybody could actually pursue along with me. Absolutely. And um, and a couple of things came into play in, in recent years anyway, is that I started paying attention to the fact that there were actually rating systems for happy countries. Um America is not really in the upper league of those countries, and I was wondering why it is that other countries could be happier than our country is. And in 2018, they published a list of the happiest countries, the top 10, and uh, America ended up at number 18. Uh, The 2019 list of happy countries, America ended up at number 19. So we're actually heading backwards when it comes to that. But the thing is, is that There's a lot of talk about socialism, about uh, even in political campaigns, there's been a a lot of referencing some of these countries that are out there like Finland and Sweden and Denmark. And and, uh, there's all these references and arguments of people about whether or not uh, the form, they call it a socialism, is often used as a derogatory term. But the reality ends up being is that there's some elements of socialism in these countries, and that actually is not uh, in any way, shape, or form derogatory. In fact, it's good. But also, the other thing that drove me is now that uh, it, there's a bucket list and in my retirement years. Right. There was an issue after being a union leader for 35 years. What I spent day in and day out uh, doing was trying to work with uh, our members and other people to try to improve benefits, improve wages, get people a health care system that they can count on, make sure you have pensions, get time off to take care of family. All these things are very dominant in happy countries. And as hard as I worked, I don't ever feel like uh, by the time I retired, I never achieved the goal. So I had to go and see what it looks like. I had to go where countries uh, where the people actually had decent paychecks or where they actually had a universal health care system and they never had to worry about getting health care. They never had to worry about going bankrupt if they got sick. They have time off um, and free college and all these other great things. I'm saying... The detractors for that system just seem to be making stuff up because the reality is, is that's the kind of things that most people want. I know it's what our union members that I heard from for 35 years wanted. And I know when we delivered contracts that raised uh, wages and provided better benefits, people were very happy about that. Um, and yet nowadays, it just seems like we're going backwards instead of forward in that area. So that was the, that was kind of like the motivator. Mm-hmm. Plus, I like to travel. We'll just right. throw that into. You should. You uh, you're retired. So 
You mentioned uh, this list, and it's actually a full report uh, sponsored by the United Nations, I believe, and it's called the World Happiness Report. And I'll really quickly rip through the top 10 countries, because these are the countries you visited, Leo, and we're talking to retired union leader Leo Canty. Uh, One, Finland. Two, Norway. Three, Denmark. Four, Iceland. Five, Switzerland. Six, Netherlands. Seven, Canada. Eight, New Zealand. Nine, Sweden. And ten, Australia. And as Leo mentioned, in 2018, the U.S. of A. was at 18, and this year we've uh, slipped to 19th. So maybe share some anecdotes on the, some the, of your travels, Leo, some of the countries you visited, and the, the interesting people and happy people you met. Well, the theme was is, is there is so much misinformation about these things, and that's what our political environment tends to do, is to provide... Um, and, and also at times disinformation. So people are saying lots of things that I wanted to, to just verify. Uh, I know a lot about the countries to begin with, and I know that they, they do have things, at least in terms of quality of life, they live longer. Uh, every one of those countries has more uh, uh, net worth and wealth than uh, for regular people than, than we do. Uh, they don't actually... Um, put priorities on feeding billionaires before they have a priority to feed regular people first and take care of regular people first. Whatever the rich folks want to fight after everybody is taken care of, that's fine. But the reality is that the bar, the standard is higher. So I went about saying, well, and I want to write about this. I want to be a conveyor of some kind of information uh, that let people take a look at, let, let hear an alternative viewpoint than what the derogatory one is. And base it on stories, base it on data, base it on things other than what people tend to make up to try to make their points. So my goal was to go out, and as I went, I wanted to set foot in every one of the 10 countries. Two of the countries, I, were, I was only on layovers, but had chances to talk with folks. So it wasn't really cheating. I was in the country, and I got to talk with some of the natives. But the other countries that I went to, I spent time. So uh, I sought out uh, people to have conversations with and got stories. Um, one of my favorites was um, a young woman named Maria, who I had the, probably one of the best fun conversations with. She's 20 years old. She's a, a server in a um, restaurant in Reykjavik, Iceland. Mm-hmm. Iceland is kind of just a big lava rock that, without much greenery. It's pretty cold and wintry most of the time, and it's not, it does, doesn't seem to be like the happiest uh, environment to live in, but yet the people there are its number four happiest country. And they are, the uh, people get decent paychecks when they work. Maria makes a decent paycheck. She could pay for her everything she needs to. Um, she has a health care plan. She has a guaranteed pension when she's ready to retire. And it's a country with 350,000 people. And they just have this incredibly high bar in terms of what they provide for their, for their citizens. And, you know, she would, if she was married and had kids, she would have childcare. She, I mean, there's just so many different benefits. Time off. Um, there's a high, the highest unionization rate of almost any country in the world is in Iceland, and what that, and they don't have laws that mandate minimum wages. What they have are agreements between unions and 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 uh, the business that set standards. And the government basically says, you guys go out and you take care of this and you set the standards, make them real high, because if you don't, we're going to come back and impose it. And so it's a great relationship that moves that country in a much higher level. It's, they do pay higher taxes than we do on a simple comparison. 
But if you really start to compare apples to apples in terms of what they're provided that they that's paid for through taxes and what we right. purchase a la carte through our paychecks, you find out one little thing, at least in terms of the monetary side of it, is that the average person in Iceland has a greater net worth than the average person in America. Hmm. They actually pay for these things through taxes. But on the other hand, they have more disposable leftover income to pay, to actually save and, and provide for themselves. And so that's one example. And Maria helped me to, to at least understand how it works in Iceland. And I talk with lots of people in many other countries. Now, Leo, and we're speaking with Leo Canty, a retired union leader, labor communicator, political activist. And you recently published an editorial in the Hartford Current, which I, I encourage our listeners to check out. Um, just do a search in the opinion page for Leo Canty, and you'll see his uh, op-ed, which I believe was titled, as I scroll down, In the Pursuit of Happiness, the U.S. Isn't Winning. Uh, in the editorial, you talked about a young man, or I should say a middle-aged man named Seth in New Zealand. Do you recall that story? Yeah, Seth, Seth was um, what, what I would often do. Uh, which is how I strike up conversations. Wherever I was, I would always say, "Hey, where are you from? Are you, you know, if they're local?" I asked Maria if she was actually from Iceland, and she told me all about her 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 uh, story there. And of course, I was on a um, a um, shuttle boat between Auckland, New Zealand, and Devonport, New Zealand, and on the ferry. Um, I just sat up front, and a guy sat next to me. And, of course, when the ferry backed out of the, of the berth, I just said, hey, where are you from? He says, well, I'm originally from Lithuania, but I live here in Devonport. And uh, I've been to Europe and stayed there a few times, and I just landed in Australia, and I like it here. So I, we went into, he's a civil engineer. We talked about his job, you know, being transferable everywhere in the world. All he had to do was learn the language and the, uh, the codes, and he could work anywhere, and he, he pretty much gave uh, his view of that. Of that, um, New Zealand was the best place that he ever was, and he's going to stay there. And he's in his thirties, and now he's planning on, you know, essentially his retirement there. Um, and uh, and again, he had makes a very decent paycheck. Uh, the paycheck pays the bills and the taxes. They have a. He says it's the best healthcare system that he's actually in any country that he's lived in, uh, and in New Zealand it is a, a fully government-sponsored um, and operated healthcare system that he says works marvelous. Uh, there's no fees, no costs. You just go to get your healthcare when you need it, and you're taken care of, and you don't have to worry about it. Um, the pension plan is really good in terms of the average when they when people are ready to retire. He gets lots of time off, so. Those are the kinds of things that people told me about in the stories as I uh, elicited information about, hey, what's making your country work better than ours? And there was a common theme. The common theme was that, uh, that there is a higher standard of living for regular folks, and the, um, the wage gap between the richest and the poorest is much smaller because people are actually paid for their work. There is a high value on people's work. Uh, no one picks on... Um, Maria, like sometimes they might in the United States because she's a server in a restaurant. Right. She makes better pay and has more benefits than most servers in the United States, but they value the work. Everyone who has a job, their work is valued. And, of course, they're rewarded, which is a very good thing. Very interesting. Did you meet, um, I'm sure you met Americans, I won't call them expatriates, that's kind of an old-fashioned phrase, but 
Did you meet Americans who had relocated to one of these countries and, and found it more beneficial? Oh yeah, we had we had a person, John, who uh, who was a postdoc um, at Yukon Health Center. He lived in New Britain, and um, he actually helped organize the the postdoc bargaining unit at Yukon Health Center. And he actually found a job and moved to Melbourne, Australia. And he has he had a great ability to differentiate uh, between American pay and benefits and what he gets in Australia. Australia has the highest average minimum wage in the universe, and they value work. And so, what you see in a lot of these countries is that some will have higher wages. And, um, and, and less benefits. So the benefit system might be a little bit different in Australia, but on the other hand, your wages are higher, so you're going to either pay more taxes or be a, a, a part of a system that uh, requires you to chip in a little bit more in one way or the other. But in the end, it all balances out because the wages are high, the benefits are really great, you get time off. And John, John was able to relate the difference between the two countries, and he definitely uh, indicated that he liked that system where he was um, in Australia a lot better. And just as an example, the, since most of the countries um, have high wages and benefits and time off and all those other things that are a good social contract with all the workers, the collective bargaining with unions does not have to include that because everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. And so what the unions are doing, and they're every one of the top 10 um, happiest countries are all very highly unionized. And unions play a key role in the, in the social and economic policy in terms of making sure that these benefits are, are maintained. And the argument that John was telling me about in Australia is that if you go to work for an employer after 10 years, you're eligible for, for eight weeks, eight and two-thirds weeks of, uh, of kind of like a, they call it uh, longevity time, or mm-hmm. there's another name for it. Right. But you're guaranteed that after 10 works and 10 weeks on the, or 10 years on the job. Mm-hmm. And the argument that the Australian unions are now into is whether, and of course, if you work for an employer for 10 years, it's the same employer. So that's how your benefit is derived. Right. So they're, they're trying to say, well, we should actually get four weeks of this longevity uh, time off after working five years. So there's where the argument. No one is arguing over whether they should get two months off right. after being with the same employer after 10 years. It's how do you slice it up differently. So those are the kinds of things that would be just, I mean, if that was what we did as part of our, our collective bargaining in the United States, I'd be happier than I am about, uh, about where we are. Right, right. So we're talking with Leo Canty, retired labor leader here in Connecticut, uh, communicator, political activist, and Leo did a tour of the 10 happiest countries, according to the World Happiness Report, uh, sharing some of his discoveries with us, kind enough to join us and share about uh, his stories about these discoveries. And Leo, obviously, your trip kind of begs the question about the contrast with this country, specifically with the state of American labor. Well, I mean, there's a there are elements of happiness. I mean, any individual can only be happy as an individual. It's not something I could share with you, Larry, and you can't share your happiness with me in the same respect. But the thing is about those happy countries, and and I think Denmark, which had created their own word for their happy contentment, is huga. And what it is is a living in a stress-free uh, environment. And so people who have lousy health care or, or, or are living economically paycheck to paycheck are going to have much higher life stresses than people who feel the secure and calmness because of the fact that they know that they're protected. 
the fact that you actually have a union contract means that you are subject to oftentimes much less of the stress-inducing components. And so if you have these things guaranteed, you're going to be at a level that's happier, that can make you feel. I mean, Mm -hmm. humans are born with the ability to be happy, and some people are, and you may know a few, who have no ability to be happy. But on the other hand, you can actually mitigate some of that by providing them with a sense of security. A few less things to complain about or not be happy about is if you're making a decent paycheck and you've got good health care that takes care of you, even health care that can help you get to a, a therapist or somebody to <laughs> right. help walk you through the happiness thing. So, right. But those are things that I think are all fundamental for these countries is that their level of stress and worrying about not having these things is gone. And when you think about it yourself, how much stress it actually induces. And I know people, friends and family members who are under severe stress because just because of health care issues. Right. Unions certainly are not as strong here as they seem to be in other countries. So are there any lessons you've drawn? Well, there's also the politics. Don't forget that. These, uh, the people in these happy countries, and there's a lot of uh, scientific evidence to show that happier people actually do go out and vote more. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they vote for people who are going to sustain their benefits levels. That they're, going, they, they're addicted to this happiness, by the way. It's just very apparent. And so they're only going to vote for those politicians that are going to sustain it. And they have high levels of voting. So all these things uh, are showing up uh, within their environment that says that there's a cause and effect. So if they're out voting for the, for the politicians that really want to provide these things, then they end up with, uh, you know, end up with the kinds of programs that help them out. Yeah, that's a great point because what you're saying is that policy decisions, which are, again, decisions made by people who are elected to hold public office, policy decisions are going to determine uh, the level of happiness. They have an impact. They, they definitely, if there are things that we really want, or, I mean, in all of America, for every poll that I've seen, people definitely want to have better wages. People definitely want to have health care that covers them. People want to have a pension plan. They would love to have time, paid time off. There's no doubt in my mind that the vast majority of Americans would enjoy that. The problem ends up being is we don't elect the people that are ready to, to fight for it, to get it for us. And we can do that with unions, and there's just no doubt that when you're in, when you have a union contract, all those things are better than if you don't have a union contract. And so, so that's one step of the way. And then the next step is actually to have it become national public policy to do these things. And like I said, I had to go to these countries to see it before I die. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not did. giving up. I'm not giving up. One other point there too yes. is there. There's a lot of the the pushback by by essentially the rich people. That, uh, that they say this is all going to cost too much, you know, you, we can't afford it, the quote-unquote, we can't afford it. And I, one of the things that was striking to me in every one of the cities that I went to is that these are countries that have higher wages, they provide better benefits, lots of time off. These are the kinds of things that uh, our American employers just hate. And yet for me, as I looked around in every city, one thing that says to me this is a healthy, vibrant, growing city are cranes. It's a little weird. But the fact of the matter is in every one of these high-cost areas, business is moving in and building buildings and and all those cranes. Every one of and even in Reykjavik, Iceland, there are more cranes than I've seen in Boston, which is a big, booming city um, on on the East Coast. And there's more development in these countries because of the economy, because of the security, because you have people who actually have free college education and can be trained to do this work. And I just say it's not that we can't afford doing these things. I don't think an America can afford not to do it. 
I think there's significant benefits in raising that level for our people and getting out there and, and emulating what these other countries are doing. We don't have to do it exactly like them. There's a spectrum between pure socialism and pure capitalism, and they found a magic formula that suits their country the best, mixing in the best of both worlds in there and coming up with a good formula that makes people happy. And they continue to win in this race. Well, this has been educational and happy. Uh, we've been visiting with Leo Canty, a retired uh, Connecticut labor leader. Leo, thanks for joining us. It was my pleasure. As always, thanks for listening to our Council 4 Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council 4 AFSME. Our website is council4.org. My name's Larry Dorman, and you've been Unplugged.